0: Okay, welcome back to Ben and Matt's Marvellous Journey. This is a podcast taking a deep dive into the entire history of the MCU, counting down to the 10-year anniversary and Avengers Infinity War, but that isn't quite yet because this is episode 14, which means it's Doctor Strange. This is Ben and Matt's Marvellous Journey. I am Matt. I am joined by Ben. Ben, how is it going?
1: It's going good. I have watched Doctor
0: Strange recently. Yeah. I mean, We're about hope- to have a magical time. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess it's not as good as Ant-Man with all my small puns, but hey. (laughs) So yeah, Doctor Strange is a very strange one. Some people feel really enthusiastically about this, and I really don't understand that. This isn't gonna be two hours of oh, it's definitely not gonna be two hours, but it's definitely not gonna be an hour of us saying how bad it is. It's just I don't get how you can feel so strongly that you put it anywhere near like your top five. And I've seen that in rankings of the MCU films, that this this is like up there with the uh, you know the big ones, and it's like, What why? What did you see? Do you just really like getting high and watching
1: it i mean that takes us back to the comics and basically why this comic was popular back then indeed pink floyd
0: yeah my hottest possible take is there's just there's not really anything majorly wrong with it aside from problematic casting it's just it's not exciting i mean you said that it reminded you of of iron man one and and captain america one and you know the their origin movies that they were doing in phase one and it's like okay, we're now really slick at production and all that, so here's a really, really polished phase one film, essentially.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is... I mean, what, we've had Ant-Man fairly recently, but Ant-Man had too much going on behind the scenes for it to really benefit, whereas this feels like we've had three attempts at doing this kind of movie before because Guardians doesn't really count, so let's just take everything we learned from them and make it interesting. And, like, to be fair to it, it does improve on all the areas where those movies fall down yeah i think overall this is a more confident structural movie than any of those three are but it doesn't have the kind of heart that i feel elevates those movies above this one it's a it's a weird thing where, like on a technical level i'm sat there going like yeah this is really well done and but it's almost like on a cynical level i'm just sat here going like you've distilled the formula and you know exactly what you're going for with this and there's nothing much
0: more to that behind it yeah it's like music that's really well produced but it just you don't feel it I will say it's it's very briskly paced which is which is nice but to a fault almost as you will find out when we uh, talk our way through this and you hear the plot developments so released November 4th 2016 X-Men Apocalypse and Suicide Squad have come out since we did Civil War. I think I saw every one of those in the cinema. I think, yeah, I think I saw every movie that I've mentioned here uh, in the last few in the cinema. And I walked, I walked a very long way to go see Doctor Strange. I don't know why I did it. I could have got a bus and I was like, no, I'm just going to walk. And I had really bad leg pain and I was sitting there watching Doctor Strange. and I was like, I'm in a bad mood. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's, that's completely I, I,
1: I mean, I, I didn't see two of those movies in the cinema, but I have seen both of them
0: since, and I am happy about my choice to not see them in the cinema. That's fair. That's absolutely <laughs> fair. So it's 115 minutes long, so it's on the shorter end of the spectrum. I kind of think maybe, it, I don't know if it needed to be longer, it's just, I don't know, we'll, we'll get that. $165 million it took to make which is less than Saw the Dark World. A lot of CGI. I would imagine that's where that <laughs> cost is going. A staggering amount, in fact. Made $678 million at the box office, which is, I think, a pretty surprising amount uh, when you compare that to what Ant-Man made, which was, I think, less than this on a bigger budget. But, I don't know, just... I guess that's the star power of Benedict, you know? Like, Sherlock is a big fucking deal. Hamlet, you know, was, was very... I mean, are you saying that Paul Rudd isn't? I think everyone loves Paul Rudd, but it's not like... Like, the level of idolatry towards Sherlock and Benedict is pretty insane, so... I figure he, he brings all the girls to the yard, you know? And many of the boys. Directed by Scott Derrickson, who made Sinister... And I think he's a horror dude. Generally, he is. He also wrote it alongside C. Robert Cargill, who helped him write *Sinister*. Also written by John Spates, who is considered Hollywood up-and-coming hot shit. Because I think his script, his original script for *Passengers*, was on the Hollywood blacklist for several years. And I think he like helped out with *Prometheus* and a whole bunch of other stuff where like he was brought in to uh, help with things. So I guess he's up and coming I don't, I don't really know he's written prometheus passengers and the mummy mm. let's just
1: let that hang there for a second
0: i'm just saying at one point he was considered hot shit and here he is now See, uh, i can't i
1: really can't talk shit about prometheus because david lindelof co-wrote that and i i'm not allowed to be mean about him yeah. even if his movie scripts aren't very good you
0: kneel at the altar of lindelof there is a film called doctor strange that came out in 1978 I don't know much about it at all. I assume it was a very limited release in the vein of those old Captain America movies. I think I hear keystrokes of Ben looking it up right now. I'm not sure.
1: I I am actually looking it up, (laughs) but I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm just Just going to stare. Stare at the the behind-the-scenes pictures of it, because it's that kind of movie.
0: You know it. So as uh, Ben alluded to, this was a pretty popular character in decades past, shall we say, uh, the era of rock and roll and mind-altering substances. Similar to Silver Surfer, you know? There was talk of a Doctor Strange movie that goes all the way back to the mid-80s, not to diss that 1978 one in any way, but... At one point, Bob Gale of Back to the Future was uh, was writing a script for it for New World Pictures, who owned Marvel in the 80s. Stan Lee wrote a, a script alongside uh, Alex Cox, who did Repo Man, in the very late 80s. They almost made that film... But Warner Bros, who owned the company that were going to make it, were in a, weirdly enough, were in a bit of a dispute with Marvel at the time, so that didn't end up happening. David Goya, Michael France, and Stephen Norrington were all attached to a Doctor Strange film in the 90s, and briefly gained some momentum at Columbia, but that was dropped dimension films acquired the film in 2001 sold it to miramax two months later why even bother buying it marvel and paramount that deal was struck in 2005 they got those rights back but they didn't want to spend a ton of money on it i think it was sort of a smaller project for them in the vein of Ant-Man, i guess thomas dean donnelly and joshua oppenheimer who made the colossal juggernaut hit sahara took a stab at it in 2010 uh, as part of this big thing to try and get their lesser known characters off the ground. Marvel claimed more directors offered to make this film than any of their other ones. I don't know if that's true or just something they said to try and spur on the guys they had going, but the likes of of Mark Andrews who who was uh, involved in the Iron Giant and Sam Raimi, Spider-Man and the Incredibles Jonathan Levine who did 50-50 all these people were involved ultimately Scott Derrickson gets the gig he wrote and illustrated a 12 page scene had it storyboarded and produced had an animatic made all of this at his own expense it was part of a 90 minute pitch which was one of his 8 meetings he had before getting this gig which is fucking insane to me but Marvel bought that scene from him and it ended up becoming the uh the scene where he's astrally fighting someone while Christine uh, performs surgery on him and he, like, helps. It's
1: based on, um, on the the Strange the Oath as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah no, I'm, sure, I'm sure. sure you're going to bring that up. Uh, Derrickson wanted Cargill, uh, who made Sinister with him. Marvel weren't so hot on that idea. They wanted it made pretty quickly. They wanted it to have its own writer, and so they didn't want Derrickson to split writing duties, and they weren't. I think, politely, they just didn't like Cargill as, as the solo writer, so they tapped John Spates. Spates had, like, been after that gig for a long time because he was a big fan of the character. Marvel claimed to him that they were gonna go and get a different writer, but he called them up and kept them on the phone for, like, three hours and got the gig. So again, If you just are persistent, Marvel will hire you for things. Ask uh, Anthony Mackie, I think. The three of them spent quite a long time discussing the direction of the film. They considered having Strange already be the Sorcerer Supreme at the beginning instead of doing an origin film, but they liked that origin, so they went with it. Everybody involved wanted Benedict Cumberbatch right from the start. I think fans immediately really took to that idea. But at the time, he was starring in Hamlet uh, in London, so he couldn't do it. Joaquin Phoenix is another name that came up prominently, but, I mean, come on, who seriously ever thought he would sign up to a multi-picture blockbuster deal? Like, nobody. Allegedly, Jared Leto, Ethan Hawke, Oscar Isaac, Ewan McGregor, Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, Jake Gyllenhaal, Colin Farrell, Ryan Gosling, and Keanu Reeves were all on a short list, but eventually Cumberbatch uh, was available. So, uh, Some of
1: those feel like very unruly actors for this franchise. Yeah. Like, Keanu Reeves
0: looking confused and casting spells.
1: <laughs> well, I can imagine, like, Keanu Reeves is someone, who, I couldn't imagine him as Doctor Strange, but I could see him in the MCU. Like, okay. I feel like he's someone who would fit in quite well. But, like, I'm just, I can't see a Ryan Gosling doing a superhero gig nope. and not getting antsy to let like,
0: move on and do something else it's similar vein of as Joaquin Phoenix you know you just yeah. can't imagine I mean a lot of these are names that Marvel wrote down on a piece of paper as opposed to they actually had conversations with Marvel basically wanted Cumberbatch so badly that they were like okay we'll film it when you're done with Hamlet and that extra time let the writers do some rewrites and then and flesh it out a bit more a lot of the Guardians of the Galaxy crew worked on this film and that meant they weren't available for Guardians of the Galaxy volume 2
1: which is why that movie shot in Atlanta rather
0: than in the UK like this one did. Indeed. James Gunn gave some notes on the script. And finally, in this surprising amount of uh, development stuff, Dan Harmon was brought in late to do some dialogue work and critique a lot of the sci-fi stuff. And he inadvertently revealed his some of what he was doing at a Rick and Morty event. I think he had his laptop hooked up to a projector and it was like one of the files on his desktop was something to do with Doctor Strange. So. <laughs> That was fun. Anyway, Ben, why don't you tell us all about everyone's favourite drug lord, Doctor Strange? Okay. Doctor Strange
1: is a comic book character created by two men. One of those men's name is Stan Lee. Oh, weird. The other ones isn't Jack Kirby. No, shut up. Steve Ditko ah. that, the co-creator of Spider-Man probably most well known for mm. yeah so this is uh, Stanley and Steve Ditko working on this uh, debuted in Strange Tales number 110 in July 1963 uh, yeah this is one of those ones where if you've read Marvel Comics Untold Story it will say that this was one of the books that kind of took on a life on its own much in the same way that Spider-Man did and the Fantastic Four kind of became their own bigger than the comics entities Doctor Strange was picked up by a lot of college students at the time who had a proclivity towards certain illegal substances that
0: expanded their
1: horizons.
0: Uh, Put on your black lights and read some Doctor Strange, yo.
1: Yeah. If you go look look up the artwork for Steve Ditko's Doctor Strange because it is really fucking trippy um and yeah and they do a a absolutely superb job in this movie of kind of like nailing that tone we're not going to get into the controversiality behind steve ditko he likes Anne rand i think it's ayn rand or something ayn rand yeah
0: yeah. or whatever i'm not i don't care if i mispronounce her. i like atlas shrugged we're gonna leave that there (laughs) oh god i don't agree with all of her opinions but i like that book (laughs)
1: Go on. So Doctor Strange debuted around then, um, never really apart from like in that kind of drug culture never really took off in any massive way, um, never really joined the Avengers I don't think he joined the Avengers until the Uh, 2010s uh, when bendis put him on the new avengers team yeah so he's kind of hung around the sides of the marvel universe always someone for spider-man to go talk to if the occult happened yeah
0: he's always Um, neutral or or a consultant and everything like he sits out civil war doesn't he because of reasons taste apparently yeah
1: like there there are some solo series but apart from like the ditko stories nothing that really kind of took off in any massive way uh, in the same way they did. And then other, the other kind of notable run on the character would definitely be, uh, as I mentioned yeah. earlier, Brian K. Bourne and Marcos Martins' Doctor Strange The Oath, which is uh, just a fantastic little five-issue miniseries which features Night Nurse in a very prominent role and is mm-hmm. basically all about this waiting room where superheroes go to get fixed up after they've been in fights and such. Yeah. That's, um, a, that's a beautiful little story. Very nice art. Yes, and then more recently... In the realm to this movie, Jason Aaron and Chris Pacello started their Doctor Strange series, which is also really fantastic to look at. Mm. But yeah, Doctor Strange is one of those weird ones where uh, most of his culture kind of comes from the early days of that druggy culture, and then also kind of being adapted. Like, he got adapted into the wider stream medium, so he kind of... People knew Doctor Strange, even if they didn't maybe know the character, but like the name is something that kind of hangs around... And a lot of people who read a comic probably have picked up Doctor yeah. Strange, or all have, or have some awareness of something, which is which would explain why there were so many directors who wanted this role. Is because this isn't Iron Man. There were some stories that people knew, but he was never really any, anyone's favourite. Whereas Doctor Strange, I feel, probably was quite a few people's favourite, even yeah. if he's. Never had that kind of the ongoing comic book presence that Spider-Man or even like even Iron Man had a, has had a series basically ever since he debuted.
0: I mean, he's on the front cover of a Pink Floyd album. I'm pretty sure, Doctor Strangers. So yeah, that's. That's that's all very succinct. Well done. So let's get into this then. So we open the film with a rogue sorcerer named Caecilius, which I'm still I'm still hesitant about that pronunciation. But anyway, he is a is a rogue sorcerer. As I said, he has a little group of followers. They break into the library of Camartage, steal some pages from the Book of Cagliostro. There's going to be a lot of this terminology, so strap in. The ancient one arrives to fight them, but they get away. So this was originally going to open with a little prologue. CERN, which is the uh, the European Center for Nuclear Research, because they were doing some investigations into alternate dimensions and parallel universes for realsies, actual scientists doing this work. But for whatever reason, they they didn't go that way. They didn't they didn't want to give you the excuse of like magic is science, science is magic, even though they basically do a speech saying that. So, Caecilius is played by Matt Mikkelsen, who was considered for both Doctor Strange and Mordo before he ended up as as Kaecilius. You're forgetting the other role he was considered for. In a different Marvel movie. In a different Marvel movie. Go for it. Malekith. Oh, Malekith, of course. Slightly better, but <laughs> along a similar theme. Less makeup, more English. Yes. He has admitted he struggled with how VFX heavy this film was, didn't know where to stand, how to play the scenes. Ben showed me a wonderful video uh, <laughs> that shows that many of them didn't know that either. They incorporated some character traits from Mordo and the villain Halu, I believe, because Kaecilius is not a big deal whatsoever. Mordo is the nemesis of Strange and and Dormammu, obviously, but yeah, they kind of elevated this character by giving him uh, some stuff from other people. Doctor
1: Strange is not a character with a deep bench of villains to adapt and so the fact that we get three of his would-be villains in this movie speaks volumes about Um, what they're trying to do.
0: I mean, Matt Mikkelsen's a great actor and, like, he's naturally suited for these kind of villainous characters and... I, I do like about him that he is a reasonable person. Like, he's not more ha-ha-ing. He, he does have a set of goals and and a justification, and we get all that later. It's just... I don't know. Like, Derrickson talked about how the, he acknowledged the problem with Marvel villains and, and all this, and he, he, he gave all this lip service to how he didn't want to do that, and then he fucking made another one of them, <laughs> where it's just like, it's not enough here, it's not... Very memorable. It's a waste of a really good actor. Sounds exactly like the other guy he was considered for, Malick. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, because Cassilius is a weird one where
1: he gets to monologue and like he, he almost feels like a proto version of Killmonger in some ways. Mm. Where like the way he's talking, you sit there and go like, oh, he's probably got a good point, mm. but it kind of it takes it from grounding it in the real world like Killmonger is in terms of the racial divide between people Mm -hmm. and countries and like what Wakanda isn't doing to help people around the world and basically says we can be immortal we should be immortal let's be immortal it's like no one will ever die (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it's like this weird thing where it's just like this could have been something really interesting where he's trying to give human race something else. But instead mm. he's just like, yeah, we, eternal life, that is what the human race is. Like needs.
0: if he'd lost a loved one and maybe that's why he went to Kamatage in the first place maybe to try and find a way to heal a, a dying wife or, or child and something like that might have been good but instead you meet him fully formed like there's no villain origin really he's on his plan and he achieves most of it until he doesn't and it's just his dialogue i think is well enough written most of the time his monologue is well done it's just there just is not space for him really in this film
1: he of everyone in this movie gets hurt the most by it being an origin movie because i think there is an interesting nugget here i just think they go about it the wrong way
0: definitely and that nugget is directly tied into the Ancient One, played by Tilda Swinton. Controversially. And yes, that is... Let's 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 do it. They, they talked about how you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't with this character because, you know, this is... In the comics, it's a Tibetan man. Disney, I suppose, want to avoid getting into the whole Tibet area. They didn't want to do a stereotypical Fu Manchu-style wise Asian master. So they were like, right, what if it's a woman? And I thought, right... If they're old, it's a dragon lady. If they're young, we're doing, like, a weird fetish thing. They didn't want to propagate or stereotype, like, Westerner coming to Asia to learn to be Asian. So they just landed on, let's have Tilda Swinton playing a somewhat androgynous female character. And it's like, it's really difficult because this is a... There's another character in this where they they sidestep the problematic aspects of them really well. But it's it's really tricky, I think. And rightfully, they got a lot of shit for it, because, you know, you're taking away one of the few Asian roles for an Asian actor, and you're giving it to some white woman. But this is something where I acknowledge what's good and bad about this. It doesn't break the film for me. If it's something that you find so offensive you don't want to watch it, fine. But... You know, it's a difficult industry and this was a difficult character to adapt. So many comic book characters, if you're completely 100% faithful to them, are tricky. Like, most of the heroes are white. Most of the people of colour do not have great roles. Like, and a lot of them start out very stereotypical, so... It's funny in how
1: closely this almost lines up with the Mandarin problem that Iron Man 3 has. Mm-hmm. And you can see... There's very similar lines, which is like the Ancient One and the Mandarin are two characters who really, in the 21st century, shouldn't be adapted in any way no. and Iron Man 3 has a masterful take on what they want to do with that character and turns it into a meta commentary on stuff and you even get the actor who won an Oscar for playing Gandhi despite the fact being white to play <laughs> that's that kernel of meta commentary in there mm-hmm. of saying like we have an actor who has been hired to play someone who is not his race before to play someone who is not his race and then this is we don't want to get involved in the very fraught Tibet contro- controversy and uh. we also don't want to go for the kind of the pulp book interpretation of asian culture that you found a lot back in the kind of like the, the early parts of the 20th century and the the easy way to do about that would be to just almost not have an Asian one character and it's, it's that kind of thing where because the character is so steeped asian mythos mm-hmm. you you can't really get away from it because so much of the power structure of Doctor strange comes from asian teachings like with chakra and like all those kind of things that no matter what they do it's going to have the stench of white man comes and is better at this thing than anything else, which (laughs) at least this is better at
0: it than Iron Fist. (laughs) Tilda Swinton beat out Morgan Freeman, Ken Watanabe, and Bill Nye for this role. So that's four very different takes on this Asian character. Ken Watanabe would be the person who probably would get the least shtick if they'd gone for him. Yes. I think what they do with Wong, who we will come to sort of eats the lunch of what they could have done there but you know we'll see i didn't know that the character was supposed to be uh celtic until i was doing the research for this she's she's meant to be an, an old celtic mystic who is thousands of years old Then uh, she could have been dressed like a celt i know she could have yeah Tilla swinton's obviously a fantastic actress you know we'll, we'll get into this at the end but i, I don't think it's a It's not a bad performance, I I think it's one of the better ones in the film, it's just, it's it's also not, it's not going to be on her highlight reel, you know, for her career. Maybe the fact that it was a controversial casting, but not the performance itself, but, you know, it's not bad. So yeah, they have this big fight in the mirror dimension, we get to see it for the first time, it's basically Inception on steroids, (laughs) with streets folding into themselves, skylines ending up sideways upside down all this stuff and you know we get to see the first example of how much money they threw at the cgi department for this it's really beautiful like it's good stuff so i can see why like if this is your jam you're like oh yeah i'm loving this it's just It's the connective tissue for me. You know, I I need something to happen between these really cool-looking sequences.
1: Yeah, the movie tries its best, but it really does, especially the first third of this movie, like, almost completely grinds to a halt when there isn't magic going on, which is a real shame because, like, as soon as this scene's over, we get a solid, like, 20 minutes (laughs) worth of
0: not magic. Indeed, we do, because... Meanwhile, in New York, the arrogant neurosurgeon Stephen Strange... Severely injures his hands in a car accident, destroying his career. Pushes away the friendship of his ex-lover Christina Palmer. Spends most of his fortune on experimental treatments and radical therapies that don't work. So Benedict Cumberbatch is Stephen Strange. Despite all those people on that list, and despite Patrick Dempsey lobbying really hard to try and play him, nice try, bro. I sort of wish he wasn't doing an accent. It sounds like a really bad Hugh Laurie and House impression. Like, there are there are certain turns of phrase in that accent that just do not ring true. Well, this doesn't really work because Hugh Laurie is so prominent with his very British accent, and then he did House, but I think because Sherlock is so ingrained, and you've heard Benedict Cumberbatch talk so much hearing that American accent, which isn't, it's not awful, it's just it's John. no but like but Hugh Laurie's American accent is almost perfect
1: like the story behind Hugh Laurie getting the job is he (laughs) recorded the video sent them to the house producers and then they turned to it and said we need good American actors like him and they pointed at Hugh Laurie and it's just like oh wow you (laughs) whereas Brendan Cumberbatch like it's good in the same way that Brits kind of get a lot of the American accent but because it's not there it's got that almost uncanny valley feel to it where it's like ooh almost you're almost there but yeah. Not quite. And I'm terrible at like critiquing accents, but I had the moment when I watched the movie
0: last night where I was just like ooh. You just know when it hits the ear wrong. It's just something about it. And
1: I don't get it as much from his appearances in Thor Ragnarok and I haven't had it in no. the trailer for Infinity War, so I think he is getting better at it. Mm.
0: I felt the same way about Martin Freeman. Like In his first appearance in Civil War it bothered me and then I thought he was fine in Black Panther. I, I don't know maybe it's something he's getting better at. Maybe he's just better at doing a Minnesotan accent. Well, no, obviously in Fargo he's great, but... (laughs) You know, the whole thing of the arrogant white dude who pushes everyone away, it's very, very played out. We are seeing another Tony Stark-esque character here. It's also a less interesting journey, though,
1: because it's basically arrogant guy gets into accident and then... Is continues to be arrogant. His afterwards. arrogance
0: heals him, basically. <laughs>
1: yeah, like that's that's the weird message of this is like he goes looking for the answer, and the only reason he gets any answer to anything is because he's so persistent. Whereas Tony Stark comes back from his experience a changed person, poten- like, a potentially better person. Obviously, like Tony Stark still flawed massively, but he stops selling guns. Whereas yes. well, Doctor this, Strange, is- this
0: gets to the point where his mentor has to say, "It's not about you." Like <laughs> an hour and. ten. Ten minutes in and then he's like oh my god it's not it's just something about a lot of the way he's written that feels very first drafty or very generic to me like him in the hospital being able to like cite all the things about a random song and like strutting down the corridor and you know cover your watch because it's distracting me like i don't know it just feels very my first screenplay type stuff to me and i don't want to drag people's writing ability because you know these are actually professional writers and who the fuck am i but i don't know just a lot of his dialogue when he's trying to be witty i think is not great he's better in the angry and the dramatic moments than he is in the like look at me be a quip machine
1: that's my big issue with the movie is that this is the marvel movie where i think the humor doesn't hit like it's got maybe like a 60 40 not hit rate for Mm -hmm. the actual jokes maybe slightly more than that, but it's just, like, I, I watch it and I'm just like, you could really revel in the darkness of some of this stuff. After he kills a guy, it's like, you could actually, like, kind of, like, think about this for a second. And and they like, they
0: almost do, like, he, he, he's the first, sort of, superhero character in Marvel, at least, to kind of be like, I just killed someone, and, like, actually treat that like a big deal. It's, it's this weird moment where, like, we've
1: had Civil War in Act 3 go really dark, and... Yes kind of in the jokes whereas in this one it feels like there's a really serious movie here that then they kind of go like oh but we're marvel so here's the cape to come do a little funny bit for two seconds
0: well that's that's benedict's fault but we'll get into that (laughs) rachel mcadams plays christina palmer one of the several characters to be called night nurse which is a name you may know if you watch the netflix marvel shows rosario dawson is playing a different night nurse she turned down pepper potts in iron man one but the growth of Marvel was such that she came a calling uh, back for them when, uh, when it's now the hottest thing in the world. I feel there's a lot of actors like this where they turn down early Marvel films or superhero films generally like you wouldn't catch me in one of these and now it's like oh this is now the biggest stuff on the planet please let me be in one
1: Also uh, I think that she to recover a little bit after doing um, True to Sex of season 2 <laughs>
0: Neither you nor Mike Thomas will bait me into this discussion. I like that they start from a place where they've already been lovers and they're instead trying... Their journey is one of moving to become friend. Well, she doesn't need to learn anything, but, you know, he he is learning to be a good person to her, a good friend to her. And I know they have the little kiss near the end, but it, it, it doesn't strike me as a, and now they're together moment. It's, it is refreshing to see that, that it's not a... Uh, well they won't hear anything like that like yeah they, they've already it, had their thing
1: <laughs> it's people with chemistry who still get along well but realize that they're not really made for each other it's nice and i know that like they probably will have more of a romance arc if they ever make a second one of these movies but in this movie it does feel refreshing because it's almost closer to the the relationship that pepper and tony had in iron man one except yeah. without the kind of end to the movie stuck on there
0: yeah i mean where that's like a whole you know my girl friday like the secretary the boss type thing this is this is more of a colleagues
1: yeah equals
0: yes indeed she's perfectly fine she just has to fuck off for about an hour so (laughs) i don't think she has enough scenes personally maybe she'll get more when they eventually do a sequel but she she ties him to the real world she's one of the few characters there's not many characters in this movie when i was sitting down doing the cast list i was like oh you go. So yeah, she's really just there to be the person to bring him back into the real world, as it were, after Kamata. Not that it's not the real world, but you know. Who
1: Um, else is just
0: there, Matt? (laughs) In all of these scenes,
1: set in the hospital, who else is literally
0: just there two people uh, michael Stolberg as nicodemus west and also amy landecker her scene's got cut but yes she is there she's not not all of them she's there she just i don't yeah. think has a speaking role at any point no
1: she of, doesn't but she like but michael Stolberg in <sighs> this role is just it's fucking bizarre like having just come through oscar season where he's in the post he's in Shape of Water and he's in Call Me By Your Name and he's the best fucking thing in or one of the best fucking things in Call Me By Your Name to come and watch this movie where he has a comedic beat where he goes back to a vending machine because two ghosts have flown through it and he's going
0: to get some more snacks is genuinely mind-boggling. Yeah, and being basically told you're an idiot and then later on you do this. And it's like, oh, like, great. It would have been great like, if he did any acting in between this.
1: Like, Michael Stalbach is one of the best character actors that we have going right yeah. now. Like- Fargo, man. Men in Black Far- 3, man. Like, <laughs> oh, it's like, Simple, ma- or simple Man is... Yeah. Just a, absolutely a, is outstanding, and it's it, like he's absolutely fantastic in that. Like he, he also got very little to do in boardwalk Empire*. But whenever he was on screen in boardwalk Empire*, he was magnetic and amazing. And this movie just completely wastes him, and I am so sad <laughs> that uh-huh. like this, they literally do nothing with him, and he has been kept from being in another Marvel movie
0: where he might actually have something to do.
1: Yeah. And,
0: We'll put I mean, them, we'll put him on the list of, of wasted actors in Marvel films.
1: I mean, I think I I can't remember if I said to you I was just like he would make a really good Reed Richards.
0: Oh yeah, he would
1: in yeah. a Fantastic Four movie, like a really good Reed Richards, and we've used him here.
0: Yes, here he is, Nicodemus West. What a name for a for an unimportant character. We get this fun little nod to the history of the character when when Strange is getting ready before his car crash. We get some Pink Floyd playing. He selects watches from a big drawer of watches. He selects one that's the same brand that uh, Tony wears in Iron Man 2. Big parallels with those characters. I'm actually looking forward to seeing them interact in Infinity War, weirdly enough. Just before the car crash, he he is taking a phone call about uh, all these potential patients that people were so desperate to say were, well, they talk about some, like, an Air Force person in experimental armour who's got spinal problems. It's like, wait, what just came out? Civil War. What happened to Rhodey? He got paralysed. And as adamant as fans may be that this is Rhodey, it's definitely not, because... They've said it's not and they've said that this scene is supposed to take place like a year before Civil War. So maybe it's the guy that survived his uh, test flight in, in Iron Man two that that just even
1: even that's like sixties beforehand, so it's just like I don't like... know. I don't know. <laughs> but it's this it's this weird moment where it's just like you've got two moments in this franchise where you could have a character be related to this scene, and instead... It's, it's neither. It's neither? And it's just... It's this really weird moment where, like, you kind of go like, oh, Easter egg, Easter egg, and it's almost like they've just kind of go like, ah, we could really piss the fans off by saying it's not an Easter egg.
0: Yeah. And then the other one is, is potentially the original Miss America, but fuck the original Miss America, because America Chavez is, is the future, people. That car crash is pretty horrific. Uh, all the shots of his very injured hands are very, very brutal fun fact his handwriting when he's trying to get the use of his hands back still better than mine and i haven't (laughs) had a car crash not joking there at all it's just i've seen your handwriting so yeah it's true i hated our job that we had to write by hand so much (laughs) uh the the line where like you know christine's oh no one could have done better and he's like i could have i was like oh
1: yes work doing. on your own hands that scene is like irony yeah. I was like just slathered on and, 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 still, yeah. and at the end of this I'm sat here going like can we go to Asia now and you can learn magic Well,
0: you know, he's injured within 10 minutes, and within 10 minutes, he's in Camatage. 10 minutes after that, he's in Camatage. So, yeah, Strange learns of this person, Jonathan Pangborn, after being a complete dick to his physiotherapist, by the way, who who was a paraplegic who regained full use of his legs, he seeks him out, finds him playing basketball, and he is directed to Kamatage in Nepal. After he is mugged during his long search, he is taken in by Carl Mordo and meets the Ancient One, who eventually agrees to train him in the art of sorcery after also proving to him that magic's real. Benjamin Bratt is Jonathan Pangborn, which is such an odd name that it's so memorable and it's, it's... They kind of set this character up to be a big deal and he's obviously not going to be, but... Uh, Benjamin Bratt is one of those actors who... I hear the name, but I just could not summon up like, a role that is his. I know he's in Law and Order, but it's like... Uh, it's just one of those actor names that you hear and like, oh yeah, him, but you don't really know his work. You probably do, but... Um, no,
1: this movie feels like they had We've Got Ten Spaces in the credits. <laughs> and so... Benjamin Bratt and Michael Stuhlbarger names we know, so they're going to get single card credits in the in the post credit scene. It's just like, what? What did they do? How much did they get for this role? What is happening, Marvel? Are you literally just throwing money at these people to yes. have them in your movie? Like, yes. <laughs> again, I said to you last night, this movie probably has the best cast of any like origin movie in mm-hmm. the Marvel franchise, and it wastes. <laughs> no, it doesn't waste.
0: It just. Underuses them to a Und- man.
1: <laughs> yeah, like almost every one of them. Unless you are Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> you are underused, and that makes sense because it's an origin movie. But it's just like you have so many actors here that could be leads in your movies, and a lot of- for a lot of them, and they're limited to like two or three scenes each.
0: Mm-hmm. It's astounding. <laughs> yes, At Chiwetel Ejiofor is here as Carl Mordo. Gary Oldman was considered for this role. That would have been weird he's a wonderful actor and he's so close to being really good in this I think because he's a legitimate black belt in martial arts so like he's really authentic in those training scenes he's he's got that wonderful voice and 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 way he he carries himself he's obviously phenomenal at playing these sort of devout characters We'll talk about where it ends up, but just I think he's he's just the wrong side of great, you know. Yeah,
1: I, I I can see every single thing they do in this in this movie with him. Like I can see them coming in with this really great idea that they're going to give a character who isn't the main character like a multiple movie arc and it's going to really pay off in the second or third time that he shows up in a movie but because you're doing an origin movie there isn't enough time to set up the arc in this movie and like I appreciate that we're going to go into a second movie and he's probably going to feature quite heavily into it and we're going to understand where he's coming from but Doctor Strange needs to have his full arc and they don't come close to satisfyingly like complete it and I love Ezio for like he's... Yeah fantastic in serenity he's fantastic in 12 years a slave there's so many different things that that i've seen him in that it was like he elevates it and then this movie he doesn't not for lack of trying on his part because he's great (laughs) yeah
0: he's he's one of the stronger people in it but uh, no one in it is is word of mouth worthy from this yeah
1: i don't think i don't think anyone anyone gets to like be bigger than the role
0: yeah So, like, the little switch they do, because, you know, Stranger's brought into this this little place and, and he sees the wise old Asian man drinking tea and he assumes that's the ancient one, and then Tilda Swinton is like, hey. And, you know, that would have been a really fun little switch if not for the fact that you saw her in the opening scene and obviously... I mean, I can tolerate when, like, you know who it is based on the cast, as long as, like, the film doesn't give away. But the film does give it away, so you blow your little fun reveal of, oh, no, it's her. And, you know, we get this magi- this magical mystery tour sequence, as it's called, done by the same vfx team that did ant-man's quantum realm sequence and you can tell uh, dan harman's contributions here are abundant it just it looks like rick and morty made with more money <laughs> some of the stuff with like hands growing into hands and him falling into his own eye and all of that fun stuff again it's, it looks so good yeah again like it's, it's really great to look at but i can't really say more than that it's really great to look at and the things that have happened since the last thing that was really good to look at aren't quite good enough <laughs> it, (laughs) it's gorgeous and i can't even fathom how much money they spend on it a lot so doctor strange uh, a man of medicine medicine is now convinced that magic is real so much so that he, he stays at Camartage after some convincing and after several months of study aided by rapid consumption of books he steals from the library and a photographic memory he begins to show some progress but when he uh, breaks into the library and, and looks into this book of Cagliostro and, and finds the Eye of Agamotto he starts to fuck around with time he makes an apple like decay and grow back and all that and he's told off and then info-dumped because of this. So, I love me a good training sequence and everyone else does and uh, because when they were doing testing of the of this film tests test screenings, the training stuff went well, so they added a lot more of it in reshoots. That's all good fun. And if you look at the blossoms on the tree, you, know, you can see that, you know, several months have passed, but and I don't give a shit if he's got a photographic memory. In real film time, he goes from not being able to do anything to being able to hold off kaecilius and his people and go on to fight dormammu in about 10-15 minutes and it's like i appreciate you not getting bogged down in a heavy scene but in some ways i almost wish it said like five years later or something like that
1: yeah well like he he has the sling ring yeah he can't use the sling ring he gets sent to Everest. He comes back from Everest, and then all of a sudden, he's really competent. Yes, it like it genuinely happens in the space of that one scene. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do because I think the best stretch of the movie comes after the training sequence. But this isn't like in Iron Man where that cave sequence isn't super long, but we get a lot of setup that Tony Stark knows what to do with these kind of things, so we understand he's competent. Um. But like here, it's like there's no effort to say that the skills he has as a doctor are transferable to this they just kind of go like oh he's a genius because he's a
0: genius yeah and and like when he's asking about how he would ever learn to do this and she says how did you learn to repair a spine or repair a part of the body and they're equating it to years of study and it's like, you know, I, I could understand it if they were like, yes, you're really good at the theory side of this, you're able to retain this knowledge really well but it's still hard as fuck so, uh, you know, I would have liked if they balanced these two because you get, you know and you get the stuff where it's like, how were you able to do this he is the wonderful chosen one, of course I don't think it would have made him look any less impressive if he got to be a really high level in a few years rather than a few months um, and it would also fix I- the stuff they did with the timeline where they're like no no this is ages ago but it's 2016 the same year as civil war
1: yeah it's it's just always one of those things where it's like
0: i understand the reasons behind
1: doing it but like this movie has a very weird relationship to time in that the first 20 30 minutes of this movie are like boom 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 and it's like this took place over an amount of time that isn't entirely clear mm. and now we're into the part of the movie which is pretty much from the word go just in chronological order straight through no cuts aways no no nothing no time jumps or anything like we literally just follow a sequence of events now from this point yes and it's this really weird jump and i think the movie's a lot stronger when it does this part where it's like this is 12 hours in the life of these characters but we come out of it kind of going like oh have we how long have we actually spent yeah watching this growth happen
0: Sling Ring is a very dorky name, by the way, I just want to say that. I don't care if it's from a comic, if it isn't, that's worse, in <laughs> fact. Nico Minoru's mother is is one of the characters who is, is training alongside Strange, which is fun. I think the little scene where Master Hamir, who is shown to have an amputated hand, is able to do spells, because Strange complains his hands are holding him back, and then to have him do that, I think that was a nice little moment that they found some time for. More importantly, though, Benedict Wong, as Wong. This is an example of them sidestepping a problematic character who is, you know, a white man's manservant who wears robes and brings tea constantly. And instead, uh, this dude while he probably is a capable martial artist they never show him doing martial arts and he is more of just like a stern drill sergeant type character And i think that's a really smart way to play it he might be my favorite person in this movie i'm not gonna try and push for him to get outstanding by any means but good for him that he's gonna be in infinity war i think he has some nice little beats
1: i want to ask the Beyonce joke.
0: Yes, I was just about to say. Benedict Cumberbatch saying Drake, Adele, and Beyonce are among the cringiest things I've ever heard. I just he just doesn't sound right saying Drake. Yeah, I, I guess you're more talking about that that he is later listening to single ladies. I I, I like that bit. I, I like, do as well. I just don't like Benedict deadpanning all these artists and it's like just come on, Be- don't come on, do Beyonce. That.
1: Yeah, it's like come on Beyonce, let's do this or whatever. It's nah. like Okay, and then, but then the cut to Benedict Wong going to be like, who? And they actually listen to Single Ladies, and it's like, did he just decide to start listening to Beyonce because he mentioned him or yeah. was he just fucking with Doctor Strange like both mm. of those interpretations are fantastic yes uh, but the the way that they bring up Beyonce is just weird and really cringy as you say <laughs> yeah like, it's
0: it's just it, it's again it's it seems very my first script it seems very low hanging fruit in a bad I don't know it's not great is this potentially one of the first times a film has featured two people called Benedict in it almost, almost definitely <laughs> yes it's not that common name the info dump stuff I I think it is, as info dumps go, not bad. Like the the diagram of the Earth and the explanation of the sanctums and all that. It's it's not boring. It's not just washing over you and meaning nothing. I I think it's it's decently done. I like the time control sequence with the apple. You know, like the the apple, of course, representing forbidden knowledge, forbidden fruit, all that. And it's like a cool visual effect. But again. I don't like how easily that comes to him. They're like, how did you do this? He's like, I read the book and I did the things it said. And it's like... Oh. But it makes it seem like I could do it. And I know I couldn't, obviously, but it's just... I don't know. They, they needed to do something where, like, you know, oh, the eye opens for you. I mean,
1: especially especially at the end where they reveal what the eye is. We've had a build-up to, to this, and... Okay, fine. If, that, if that's where we want to go, that's fine, but...
0: Strange can control an
1: infinity stone, the,
0: the time stone. Potentially the most important one <laughs> if, if the rumours about Avengers 4 are true. Kaecilius uses these stolen pages he grabbed at the beginning. Hey, remember Kaecilius? You borrow power from the evil entity Dormammu, who lives in the Dark Dimension, who Doctor Strange was warned about. He uses his power to attack the New York Sanctum Centaurum. He attacks London first and then he goes after New York. Strange blows london up he does insensitive strange ends up in the new york one trapped uh, away from wong away from mordo away from the ancient one against these three experienced sorcerers one of them being caecilius all was borrowing power from dormammu and he manages to hold them off long enough or he he, he beats them really and he, he captures caecilius temporarily i yeah.
1: i appreciate that
0: he wins through the environment though yes not yes through any particular he, skill. he takes advantage of weird artifacts and he like outsmarts them and he does things that aren't magic and i guess that's what threw them off basically but again he goes from the only one in his class who can't make a sling ring portal to fighting off three sorcerers at once uh, it's just like you said the way he does it is fine like I like the little like scene changing windows and and like the binding armor that he uses on on Uh That's that's fun stuff. It's just
1: yeah, like uh, as as I said before, like I think this stretch of the movie is the most confident, but that's just because it is Beep, beat 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 beat. Like yeah. I don't I don't like how they got to the point where he's all competent but like when he gets to be competent and it's just showing off the special effects and showing off just the weird ways that magic works in the Marvel Cinematic Universe like I really do appreciate that stuff
0: I think it's all a, a very strong proof of concept like this is where they need to be going like weird shit countless weird artifacts and stuff like that and I can see why they considered making him already the Sorcerer Supreme because I feel whilst while there's a debate about whether a sequel to this is necessary or not I am you know, this is the kind of stuff I like, and, and seeing, having a justification for why he's able to do a lot of it would be good, but...
1: Seeing these guys, like, the opening scene in the movie is these guys attacking the Sanctum Santorum and he just fends them off. Like, you just move this scene up in the movie and then you get more time to flesh out the villains and yeah. you don't have to... And you could even do up. a
0: flashback to the car crash if you're so intent on doing it. Like, I, I think Derrickson is pretty obsessed with the villain Nightmare, who I don't know anything about, but I'm assuming he is to do with dreams. You could have him, you know, have the nightmare about his car i don't know uh we get the cloak of levitation here benedict cumberbatch suggested the thing where it's like wiping his tears away from his face and like annoying him and that it like sort of moves on its own has a very um the magic carpet and aladdin vibe to it i think yes he does the little sherlock collar pop as well it's uh, you know the cloak is fun i think
1: I-, I think parts of the cloak are fun Yes, the cloak being hyper competent I appreciate the cloak reading his emotions and being caring I'm not too solid. Like I like the bit where like the cloak's just like no, get this thing rather than the yeah axe dragging him away.
0: Yeah, that that's fun. I like that. And he's like desperately trying to drag it. Kind of like the cloak like smothering a guy almost to death as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Again, right. like yeah,
1: the the cloak as competent I appreciate. The cloak when it's like stroking his face, I'm just like okay, um, fine.
0: We've got some fun Marvel stuff here. I think Moon Knight's mask is somewhere in the sanctum. A prop master made the Ebony Blade, which belongs to Black Knight. I would assume. Black Knight that was made for the film but it isn't actually here and the uh, the new york master who is killed is uh, jericho drums brother jericho drum of course uh, inherits the title of sorcerer supreme at one point i guess he has to give it back because Doctor Strange must always be the Sorcerer Supreme. But yeah, that's a nice little tie-in there. It, it's a fun scene, it's just... It, it's rife with all the problems we've mentioned. but so Caecilius, you know, ends up escaping, and and the Ancient One and Mordo arrive, and we go back to the Mirror Dimension, and we have another one of these scenes. Caecilius manages to kill the Ancient One, shockingly. But he has, is, he is at this point, revealed that she draws power from this dark dimension, which is exactly what he is being condemned for doing. He calls her a hypocrite, all this. Mordo makes note of it. That will be important later. You know, Strange rushes her to a hospital in a, tent, in a foolish attempt to save her life. She falls stupid far into <laughs> the ground and goes through glass and stuff. And, like, you know, he speaks to her in the astral plane and she's dying and, and all this stuff.
1: I did think for a second, is the theme of Phase 3 going to be people falling from stupid heights (laughs) and then very realistic hitting the ground? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is the second movie we've had. I think think there is one in in Guardians 2 as well, is someone falling from a great height, Uh... although admittedly not in a realistic way.
0: No, no. I think this Mirror Dimension one, it's fantastic. It's beautiful but there's so much going on you can't focus on any of it at least that's how it is for me I don't know I mean maybe there are people that are sitting there watching this frame by frame over and over and over again who love it but they like three times I've seen this now weirdly um, I, I'm i able to acknowledge that it's beautiful but I'm just being bombarded with stuff and I can't really key in it, on
1: anything it is Inception on crack
0: yeah like if if the first one is Inception on steroids this is Inception on crack right? yeah this is
1: them doing
0: like what
1: if Inception was only Escher paintings?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's fun. It's just, it's a bit too much. There's not enough restraint, I think, is the problem there. If this stuff is your bag, then you're having a great time. But I, I, I always, think it's just an, a, a little smidge too much. Here.
1: I always get sucked into this one because it's just like, it's so much fun to look at. Mm. But it is kind of like highly disposable. There's no emotional stakes to what they're doing. And I'm always taken out by the fact that, like, they keep on casting the portals to get away. And I'm just like, why, why are you doing it, like, 40 feet away from you? <laughs> like, you, we've seen at other points in the movie that you can do it within about, like,
0: three feet. You're doing it so far away, and you have to run, like, a long distance. And uh-huh. uh, that, that Oh, that's the that's... shot of him running directly at camera, doing the sling ring thing, super goofy. I like when they get onto, like, the floating platform, and it's, you know... the the actual fight I I like that but yeah when they're just constantly jumping between things it's a bit much the astral plane fight is okay you know this is the big scene that Derrickson created to get the film I don't quite get the logic of him killing a person via defibrillation and like he's fine but it kills the other I don't know but it's okay. It's okay, to me. Rachel like...
1: McAdams gets to scream yes. and, rea- and react.
0: For, for realsies, because that mop fell on the floor by accident and she jumped out of the skin. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, Rachel McAdams. She, she takes to it very, like, okay, when he's, like, floating in the air in front of him. In front of her, sorry.
1: I do appreciate how game Rachel McAdams is. I saw her yeah. in Game Night the other week, and I was just like, you need to be in more. And then I watched Doctor Strange, and I was like, you need to be used well in more things
0: while I'm not personally like amazed by this big astral uh, plane fight I do like when he's having the conversation with the ancient one and you see this lightning bolt very slowly making its way down the sky and you know just to Get, make clear what is happening i think i like it i'm just there's nothing about this film any part of it where i'm like mega enthusiastic or super like, against anything
1: this 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 conversation is like what makes me feel that like tilda swinton's paycheck was probably well deserved because yeah. i do think it's a a nice conversation about someone understanding the that this is the moment that she's going to die and is yeah. kind of like accepting of it and yeah like it, it's the weird thing where it's just like i've heard this conversation and by so many different things of like someone who can tell when she's gonna die being accepting but it's just it's well done here even if the fact it's well done is because you've got an actress who doesn't need to be delivering this kind of dialogue in front of a backdrop of like cginess that just kind of elev- elevates it that little bit yeah it, it's it's a it's a good conflict complex of things where, like, this scene is better than it needs to be.
0: Yeah.
1: But it also maybe shouldn't exist because it's been done before.
0: There's also that super on-the-nose moment where after she says, because it's not about you, the camera, like, pans around to the other side. It's like, see? His perspective has shifted. There's
1: there's a really odd cut in this bit where... (laughs) Doctor Strange says something and it cuts to her face for two seconds and it cuts back to him and I'm just like, what on earth happened there? I, Did I think he make like, a funny face? <laughs> I, I don't know, I th- is it, it might be the moment she dies or like he, I, I can't remember what it is but I just sat there going like, that's such a weird cut and it's made it through to the final version of the film and mm. I don't understand why anything uh.
0: Also like I'm sorry, but that hospital will have to file a death certificate for this unnamed woman who has no identity whatsoever that Strange brought in off the street, and I just can't imagine the paperwork involved there. Strange and Mordo arrive at the Hong Kong Sanctum, just a little bit too late because kaecilius and company have super fucked up hong kong but so strange has to use the eye of Agamotto again rewinds time they're fighting he realizes he can't win this way so he figures out what he has to do and that's go into the dark dimension and trap dormammu in an infinite time loop until he gives up i do want to talk about that but uh the battle of hong kong the time reversal stuff it, i think it's fun you know like fighting backwards or fighting amidst things going backwards. It's a thing you've seen a lot over the years in sci-fi, but, you know, it's, if you're going to have the eye of Agamotto, and you've got to keep drilling this idea of "hey, he can do stuff with time, guys," then it makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, visu- visually, it's fantastic. Mm. It is something that we're going to keep on saying from this. Like <laughs> visually, this movie, it's very well done, and I like the kind of the effect that happens when they break free of the time travel stuff, like yeah, the like tearing weird, like, their
0: way out of it, and yeah, like, like shuddering, and the fact
1: that they get like trapped in walls and trapped in <laughs> like fish tanks and stuff like that. And it's not it's not original, but it's a well done version of it. Which is again like so much of this movie is like something you've seen before, but it's probably done more competently than it's done in other places. Yeah. If only because they're just throwing so much money
0: at this thing, (laughs) an obscene amount. So my favorite scene in the goddamn movie, Dormammu, I've come to bargain. We have Benedict Cumberbatch playing Dormammu at his own suggestion because he just can't get enough of, of voicing. Two people in one movie. I love it. I, I think it's gorgeous. I for me, this is the visually coolest thing. And like the way the dark dimension looks, like the atoms in the air, and like the colors, the, the purples and greens. I think it's gorgeous. Dormammu's got a really weird look. It's very different than how he looks in the comics. I, I believe he's mostly just like a giant fire demon a lot of the time. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah. I, I think it's really clever. Like I,
1: this is so good.
0: Yeah, like, because. This is the thing with this character because we have so many punchy, stabby, fighty enemies and Strange deals in not that at all. Like, he deals with things that are beyond comprehension. Like, you have a big incoming villain soon in Thanos who is, like, you know, the, the most unfuck-withable physical force. And then Dormammu is just... He's something else. So that, that Strange beats him this way, I think, just makes complete and total sense.
1: Yeah, it's it's so nice after having... This is the fifth origin movie that we've had in the franchise so far, and it's the only one that doesn't come down to two people throwing punches at each other mm-hmm. it's so refreshing like it's it's a different way of taking it down and it looks really good it's structured really well it's in keeping with everything the movie's been doing so far it's It basically proves like yes we've got the big cGI spectacle going on in the final act, but that you don't need to have and, and even even we're getting down to the level of like. Benedict Cumberbatch is literally playing both characters so we're still doing the <laughs> mirror image version of them fighting against each other.
0: Yes. But again, Scott done... Derrickson must have been so like Fake deep as a teenager, <laughs> all the stuff he thinks is poignant. Yeah, and like I, I really like the first time that time rewinds, and Dormammu says the same thing, and then he's like, "Wait, what?" and like looks <laughs> around a bit, and all the like super fucked up ways he murders him, and then he just. And I, I think my favorite edit is the one where like Strange dies off to the right of the screen, and then floats down from the top or something. It's it's just really well done. Logic would dictate Dormammu should just torture him rather than murder him repeatedly, but hey, I guess he could still make time rewind if he wanted. Really, really, really well done. We then get the little nods to the Mindless Ones, because when he relents, he takes Caecilius and Co. away, and they transform into what sure as hell look like the Mindless Ones, which is yes. Dormammu's little army of followers. Yeah, he, he just... He trolls Dormammu into giving up forever, allegedly. We'll see if that holds. Yeah, and off they go. Strange returns the eye to Kamataj. Takes up residence in the New York Sanctum. It becomes its new guardian uh, at, at the Ancient One's suggestion before she died. I'm missing something out, but it's on purpose, uh, because we'll just talk about it in one go. In a little mid-credits scene, uh, we get or talking to Doctor Strange about Loki and Odin. This scene was, of course, filmed by Taika Waititi uh, before they got rid of all the sets for this film. It's fun. Like, it's a fun little thing, you know, like a a refilling thing of beer and, like, a more confident Strange. And it will play out into a a pretty fun non-sequitur in Thor Ragnarok, which we'll talk about. Vaguely soon, they kind of end with him just sort of walking into the New York Sanctum. Like it was a shot they closed every trailer with. I think of him walking up those stairs with the cloak on and everything. Um,
1: it, it's fun. It's weird in that it's more explicit than when they did in Ant Man. But like, I mean, but then we're also more like more than a year away from the movie that this scene is taken from. So, yeah. <laughs> but again, it's like it's that similar thing where. The comedy in this scene feels so much more confident than the comedy in the rest of the movie. Well, different director. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. It's like, it's like it's like it's Taika Waititi versus Scott Derrickson, the guy who's known for horror movies versus the guy that's known for his comedy movies. And you're saying
0: a hack versus an artist. Gotcha. Cool. <laughs> uh, no, no diss is intended to the horror genre. Yeah, there's not really much more to say about that. So let's talk about Mordo. He gets so disillusioned with what has happened with the Ancient One, the reveal that she has been a hypocrite, that she has been drawing her immortality from an evil place, that she doesn't scold Strange for perverting the the laws of nature by fucking with time and all this. Uh, So he, he leaves after this big fight. And then in the end credits scene, we see him wearing a hoodie, to show that he's evil. Super hacky, Scott Derrickson. He shows up and he confronts Jonathan Pangborn, who was mentioned earlier in the film. He, a key point of this was that he got the power needed to heal his his legs, and then he was like, cool, I'm out, instead of continuing and becoming a noble champion. So Mordo shows up and basically does a little rant about sorcerers fuck with the natural order of things. I'm going to kill all the sorcerers, and then presumably myself, if I'm not going to be a hypocrite. So yeah, he steals Pangborn's power and renders him a paraplegic again and and says villainous things. While the hoodie thing is super hacky, as I said, I actually think this is a pretty logical journey. Like, he doesn't do an about-faith. Like, is, this is true to the character presented, that he is strictly to the doctrine of of what is taught. And he has been lied to by his mentor and and he doesn't think that messing with time is something that one should do and it all links into what he says I think we could have had some more scenes for him to make this a more eloquent journey but I don't think it's a sudden... And now he's evil, by any means. And if it, if we get him basically playing the operative in the second movie, then I'm all for it. Because, you know, that character is all like, you know, the things I do are evil, but necessary. And it seems like that's kind of what they're tapping into at the end here to me.
1: Yeah, as I said earlier, like, this is... Even though I don't think Scott Derrickson, like, manages to meet fully with Cassilius in terms of, like, what he wants to do, I can see everywhere he's trying... With it, he gets to give them the speech that makes him sympathetic with Cassilius, and then we get the character who's obviously developing to be a villain down the line. I think it's rushed because I think he doesn't have enough scenes. Mm-hmm. But I do appreciate that we're gonna go like we are gonna go into Doctor Strange two, and we're gonna know the motivation entirely behind this, and we're not gonna have to have set up and have all that stuff. We're just gonna hit the ground running and presumably get this conflict playing out
0: well this is the thing i understand why you do the thor one in the middle because it's like cross-promotional like isn't this fun i kind of think it would have been better to switch these around because there may be people that don't know this happened because <laughs> i i watched this for the first time in the cinema obviously but the second time i saw it it was like a big group of people we had a projector we watched outside pretty cool way to see it actually and they turned the film off after the the thor one because they were like oh that's it and i was like oh guys but this happens, and they didn't give a shit, but, you know. If he is going to be the main villain in the next movie, I wonder if maybe they need to repeat this scene to start the next one or something.
1: I mean, they probably will, Mark. Like, the fact that that we end this movie and we get with literally a scene from Thor... And that ends with literally a scene from Civil sort of War. I can only really imagine that this will happen again at some point in hypothetical Doctor Strange Two because they haven't announced one
0: yet. I feel they will. I think this did shockingly well, and they've got Benedict under co- under contract, and it's surprisingly popular. And now he's capable. I think you have more you can do. I think if if they've got one, twenty unannounced films, this has got to be one of them. Just yeah, I think, the sheer I think at numbers.
1: this point we're basically waiting for. Comic Con to come around and for them to basically say, "Here's our slate. Like, Infinity War is going to come out. We might get the title for the uh, Fourth Avengers movie, and then in the summer they'll be like okay here's the next years. Yeah, I that feel like
0: they're waiting on this this next film to come out so that they can announce some shit because they've been they haven't announced anything in a while. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, like we know we know Spider-Man Two is coming. We know Guardians Three is coming, but that's all we know of the post Avengers Four world. Mm
0: okay so you know some miscellaneous stuff uh in a cameo stanley is a bus passenger reading aldous huxley i think james gunn directed this because he filmed a whole bunch of his uh, cameos didn't he at one time
1: yeah i think i think this this was the first one and he did black panther this and avengers possibly both avengers movies and spider-man as well like yeah they're basically every movie that came out Hmm. after this one they
0: filmed the cameo I said Chris Hemsworth at Thor. I already talked about Amy Landerker, so I guess I'm done with cameos, really. They had an astrophysicist called Adam Frank consult heavily on the science of this, the the, the different viewpoints the characters should have, all that. I, I like it when people do this kind of research. Like, go consult scientists more people Stark Tower is visible in the New York skyline at various points in the movie we've kind of said everything there is to say about it so we're going to close this one down pretty quickly villain watch seems almost unnecessary we've we've said it uh, I don't think this is like an all time worst one but it's definitely on the lower end of the spectrum in that they never get enough time and this is no different like Kaecilius has a set of tenants that aren't uninteresting but you, there's no time for him so i do i do think he is better than the iron monger i think
1: he's better than red skull and i, think I know some people that
0: really love red skull i overheard i was in a comic book shop a couple of weeks ago and someone was one of the members of staff was talking to a customer and it was they were talking about black panther and like, yeah it's the best villain since red skull i was like what <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna need you to explain every part of that please <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, like Red, Red Skull's good and fine. Like, Red Skull's on the upper, like, if we're doing the five origin movie villains, or the six origin movie villains, he's in the top well, you know, he's in the bottom three, because there's six now. He would have been, like, right in the middle before Black Panther came out, but Killmonger's kind of <laughs> dropped everyone down, apart from Loki. But yeah, like, this this movie's, like, it's three or four of those. It's definitely better than Nine Munger, it's definitely better than Yellow Jacket.
0: so... I think it doesn't help that this isn't a banner character in the comics either, that it's... You knew it wasn't anyone that important sort of going into it. And I, I think Dormamo is well executed, but you see him for like two minutes, maybe. Yeah.
1: And even then, that ties more into act three. And that is good act three.
0: Yes, definitely. I, it, I would argue the best act of the film. But...
1: Yeah. Like, it's it, again, like when the movie just becomes, hey, look at the wacky CGI fun time, but also base it in intelligently structured plot resolution like, it really does come full circle and i can see someone coming out this movie and basically being like feeling that they had a better time than they did because on the end of this movie i'm kind of like oh yeah i'm ready for more doctor strange forgetting the
0: beginning of the movie and how when it's not magic it's kind of a little bit dull mm. well they're done with that now he's definitively a magical man and we'll see what happens to him in infinity war and possibly beyond so outstanding performances i think you know i think we've made this pretty clear no one's getting it for this they have as you said a great cast everyone's giving an adequate performance but nobody's doing anything noteworthy no one's doing anything that will be like oh man remember this in, in doctor strange yeah i think that's, that's pretty easy that gives us three spare picks to play with going forward we have oh two, my god and we, we will now have three so we'll see what happens
1: there, I do. I do want to say one thing, which I'll will be my my friend will kill me if I don't give this a shout out. Michael Giacchino's score for this movie. It's his. It's his first Marvel movie. He's not. He's not for, for someone as high profile as him. I don't think we're getting to the level of like Captain America or the Avengers theme. But mm. like the music for this movie does set the tone really, really well. And Michael Giacchino has already kind of established himself as probably the best composer
0: Marvel have hired because his Spider Man Homecoming music is oh. also really good uh, we don't talk about the music enough i don't think I, th- I think because a lot of the early ones are like not phenomenal but we've hit a pretty good run of great scores here like the ant man music is surprisingly good yeah. um civil war score is is pretty great like yeah okay so next time we have guardians of the galaxy volume 2 everyone should just be crazy excited because baby Groot has got a little Thing and he's not going to press this button, but he wants to press it because he's. I really
1: love that trailer. I. (laughs) You love
0: that trailer. I wish I didn't see it 400 times before I saw the movie. Yes, Guardians 2, I'm very intrigued to see what I think about it, because yeah, I've, this is... I've not seen it since I saw it for the first time.
1: And... Neither have I. Like, this will be my second watch, and... Yeah, I'm, I'm I... not
0: willing to give opinions about it yet, because I don't know where I'll land on it after a rewatch. So yeah, we'll, we'll, that will happen for... I,
1: f- I feel... I want to reiterate, like, I, I like Doctor Strange. Yeah. I... Like, quite a bit, but I feel like we were definitely kind of like, oh, this is so... Dumb. Like I like Doctor Strange I think it's fantastically well made if yeah. a little dead
0: inside it, it's what I said at the beginning there's nothing wrong with it I just don't get how anyone can be like this is the fifth best Marvel movie or anything this is middle of the pack this is better than all the bad ones but it doesn't have anything about it that you know we're going to be doing a 10 year retrospective episode and like talking about some of our favourite moments and like you know the heights of this franchise uh, the, the many franchises there's nothing in this that I'm going to talk about from that. Maybe Dormammum have come to bargain, but it's just lacking, I think. it's It's got some phenomenally cool visual scenes, but that's not quite enough.
1: <laughs> I yeah, I mean, d- depending on where... You we won't have
0: w- a bad time, you won't be bored. It's just not something that I would wax lyrical about and write essays about. Like I might some of them. <laughs>
1: it's this weird moment where I think Phase 3 is the strongest phase... Of the MCU, undoubtedly, and Doctor Strange is the weakest movie. And I think
0: that's a sheer compliment.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, like that's the, that's the thing. Like Doctor Strange being the worst. It, this isn't Incredible Hulk is the worst movie in Phase One, or Thor: The Dark World being the worst movie in Phase Two. Like that, those are not very good. No. Doctor Strange being the worst movie in Phase Three, you still come away thinking, like, damn, that is not a that is not a bad thing.
0: No, not at all. Well. That's our Doctor Strange discussion. You were right to add that in, because I feel, yeah, despite what I said at the beginning, we did spend quite a while uh, seemingly dissing that. But, next time around, as I said, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2... Very interested to see how we both feel about that on a second viewing. So yeah, all of all of the next three episodes will be second viewings. Same. I don't know why I haven't rewatched any of these movies, but hey. Well, Thor
1: Ragnarok's only been out
0: for like two weeks at this point. Yeah, but I fucking loved that movie. I'm surprised I know I I know know. I'm I'm
1: I'm surprised I haven't gone back to see Black Panther. I might see if Black Panther's still in cinemas after I've rewatched Thor Ragnarok, so I can actually feel like I've watched them all in order.
0: Okay, (laughs) well we're we're off to go and see if we can get tickets to see Black Panther again. You guys. Stop listening to this because it's over. Goodbye, everyone.